Today with Catherine Ruinala. I was thinking today about when the father saw Jesus being baptized. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or other versions say, in whom is all my delight. And he hadn't done anything up to that point. No miracles, nothing. And Jesus is the express image of the Father. And the Father was looking at him, his own express image, and saying, in you is all my delight. It's an invitation for us to recognize that we can adore this one who is delight himself, who is not someone who gives joy, but who is joy, the definition of joy. Love is patient. Love is full of joy. Hallelujah. He is joy himself. In his presence, there's fullness of joy because he is the author and creator of joy. He is the source of all joy. Hallelujah. So I've been enjoying just thinking about who he is, laying out the Song of Songs and just thinking about the majesty, the, the wonder of God and just asking the Lord, help me. Help me to, to see you rightly. Help me to know you more so that I can be provoked to further and further worship. Hallelujah. For the Father's looking for those who'd worship him in spirit and in truth. That is, it's his delight to give the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that we can truly worship him, not out of obligation, but out of a genuine Oh, wow, God. And I believe that we are entering the days of awe. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Wonderful Jesus. Isn't he delightful? But I want to start tonight, if you want to turn with me, um, in Isaiah 41. Hallelujah. I've been, I was dreaming last night about miracles and the testimonies. <laughs> so good. When you spend your time looking and searching after him, the Bible says, seek and I will be found by you. He will be found by us if we'll look for him. It's not like this, uh, this heavenly tease where it's like, ha, 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 seek my face, but no man can see my face and live. Ha, 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 I'm just going to send you on this wild goose chase that you can never achieve. That's actually not what he does. He says, seek and you will find. Hallelujah. Now we with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed by what we behold. Hallelujah. We become what we behold. And he wants to reveal himself as Savior, as Redeemer, and as the God of the turnaround. The God who makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Isaiah 41, I've been enjoying this all week. Um, praise the Lord. We can start in verse 9. You who have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts... 
I like that because I feel like Australia sort of counts as that. And he said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Isn't that wonderful? That no matter what you've done, no matter how you've behaved, if you come to him on the basis of faith saying, Lord, have mercy on me. He says, I've chosen you. I've not rejected you. When you come to him and you say, Lord, I want to receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. He will take all of the sin, all of the guilt, all of the shame, separate it from you as far as the east is from the west and never ever, ever, not in eternity, not in this life, never, ever bring it up again. Hallelujah. This is our God, our wonderful Lord. I have chosen you and not rejected you. If you're believing, well, I'm mucked up. I, I, I gave my life to the Lord and then I'm mucked up. And oh God, he'll never, oh, he's rejected me. I'm sure he's, he's taken his, his call off my light. No, the Bible says that his calls, gifts and callings are without repentance in that he doesn't change his mind. He's very, very patient. Hallelujah. And he will deal with you until you come and you surrender and say, Lord, your love has conquered my heart. Hallelujah. He is so kind. Verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. You don't have to get your eyes on all the things, you know, all the noise and all the news of all the bad things that are happening in this world. The Bible says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, don't anxiously look about you. You know, the more you look at trouble, the more anxious you become. And the more you think about it, the more anxious you get. So the enemy keeps feeding it, going, oh, keep looking here. Let me ring this bell. Look over here. Look over here. It's terrible, isn't it? Oh, look over here some more and more. The what you behold is what you become. If you're beholding anxiety, if you're beholding troubles, anxiety and emotion follow and flow. Your heart goes, your mind goes. The Lord loves you. He doesn't want you living in anxiety. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Do not anxiously look about you. Tell your neighbor, do not anxiously look about you. Hallelujah. You know, if you're looking so much at the media and so much of what the world's news is, it's no, it's no surprise if you get discouraged. But if instead you give your main priority and your main focus to seeking out this one I love, to discovering more about him, to worshipping him for who he is. You know, as you start with what you know, Lord, your God, your Savior, your Creator, as you begin to open your mouth and begin to worship him for who you know him as, he'll just show you more of who he is. Hallelujah. And he'll take you deeper and deeper in the wonder. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God, not your television. I am your God, not your phone. I am your God, not your social media. Don't anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I am the one who's in charge. I'm the one who's in control. And if you will put your eyes on me, if you will trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. Hallelujah. I will strengthen you. On those days that you feel like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Oh, God, it's enough. Does anyone else ever have those drama days? It's enough. Yeah, all right, the only drama queen here. Oh, God. I will strengthen you. He will strengthen me. And he does. And you know what his strength looks like? doesn't look like a big pep talk. Looks like eyes of love that see smiling at you. That flood your heart with joy and the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hallelujah. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. <laughs> ah. I was reading Maria Woodwetheta this week, and I, I, if I can remember the quote, I think she said, Jesus will be to you whatever you have faith for him to be. And it's true. He, he wants to be your savior, your help. And the, but the way we access his help and his strength is through faith. I believe you are my helper. You are my ever-present help in time of need. My time of need is all the time. And Lord, I believe you're going to help me. You're going to strengthen me. You're going to uphold me with your righteous right hand. Hallelujah. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You'll seek those who quarrel with you, but you will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand. He already said that just a couple of lines ago. When he repeats something, it's because he wants you to know it. I can reach up and hold his hand. God is for me. Who can be against me? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He means it. It's not just nice rhetoric. These words, I feel like they, I look at them, they're like, they're three-dimensional. They, they, 
come out and, and God wants it to come into you. He wants you to recognise it's a promise. This is, this is the very life of God coming into your heart as you read it. Behold, hallelujah, look at it, see it. These are the promises of God. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. Again, do not fear. I will help you. Look at this, he says it again. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. Wow. Well, as I was looking at that, I was thinking at how amazing it is. We've been in the book of Esther looking at the story of the king and the, the bride, Esther, and this amazing story of redemption and turnaround. And if you know the story, Esther and Mordecai, they're brought as captives to the city. And Esther is eventually chosen to be queen. It's a glorious, amazing story. Instead of being bitter, she's full of joy, full of hope, believing that God's going to make things work together for good, listening and um, asking for help along the way. You see, if we learn to be people who ask for help, God will help us. Instead of being arrogant or assuming that we know what to do, we know everything, God wants you to ask. Just ask. He delights to be your helper. And, and it's a, a magnificent story. But we, as you follow the story, you can see how it's such a type and shadow of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, who gave himself for us and how even like um, when you read the story of Joseph, Joseph is a type and shadow of Christ. And they tried to destroy him. Part of his wife tried and tried and tried and went after him, tried to, to get him to sin. And, and then he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. And it looked like this is just terrible. But at the very lowest point... What the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. And then Joseph was suddenly brought into the palace and such an amazing turnaround. In a day, he was appointed second only to Pharaoh. The very brothers that um, hated him and sold him into slavery, they got into trouble. There was a famine and when finally they came to Egypt, and um, spoiler alert, if you, if you haven't read this story. But Joseph is finally revealed as their brother. They expect that he's going to be so angry. But Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for our good. And it's the same thing in the book of Esther here. The enemy is, is depicted here as Haman, who was seeking to kill all the Jews. He went after Mordecai because Mordecai, he would try every day to make this guy bow down to him. And Mordecai just wouldn't do it. And it really annoyed Haman. 
So he made a plot to not only kill him, but to kill all the Jews. And it was devastating. It looked like this is, this is terrible. And one day it got so, Haman got so annoyed with Mordecai that he just went, oh, I can't stand it. I can't even be happy because this guy won't bow down to me. And his wife says, well, why don't you build a big 50-foot gallows and hang him, go and get that king's permission and hang him on it. And then you can go off with Esther and the king and have your happy banquet and be rid of this annoyance. He goes, oh, this is a great idea. Builds a gallows. Heads off to the king. And at the very same time that night, king can't sleep. You know, we have a king who doesn't sleep and who doesn't slumber. You're always on his mind. He's always your keeper, your Lord, always watching over you. He doesn't slumber or sleep. But the king here can't sleep. And so they just happen to read. He calls to read some of the chronicles of the, the recent history of his reign. And it just so happens that they tell the story of how Mordecai had foiled a plot for some assassins who had something against the king to, uh, to kill him. I mean, realistically, as a Jew that was living in a, as a conquered people, Mordecai could have just got behind the plot and tried to see the king um, uh, assassinated, but he didn't. He, he was honouring of the authorities, knowing that God is in charge, not man. And, and so he foiled the plot and exposed the plot and saved the king. And the king read this while he couldn't sleep or had it read to him. And he said, what's been done for this man? That he's, Has anything been done for him? And at that very moment, Haman turns up. He says, who's out there? Oh, Haman's out there. Bring him in. And the king asks Haman, Haman, what should I do for the man that I want to honour? Haman goes, who else would the king want to honour but me? Let's think about this. I think you should dress him in your very own clothes put a glorious crown on his head, get the highest in the kingdom to lead him around on the, one of the royal horses, declaring to everybody, this is what gets done for the man that the king delights to honour. He's like thinking, how can I add to this? This is fantastic. And the king says, excellent. Go and do it for Mordecai who sits at my gate. It's just so beautiful. And at this point, everything turns around. And every detail, every detail is recompensed. Double for every detail of trouble. Esther was told, you know, don't, don't even reveal that you're a Jew because Jews were not appreciated. But by the end of the story, people are becoming Jews because of the favour that they have. The Jews were meant to be annihilated and slaughtered on this day. God turns it around so much that they become honoured and feared. Mordecai 
instead of being hanged, is put into the place of Haman, who himself is hanged on his own gallows. You see, when you put your trust in the Lord, instead of taking things into your own hands, instead of getting anxious, instead of trying to get justice and revenge for yourself, instead of fighting your own fight, if instead you delight yourself in the Lord, if instead you give yourself to trusting in Him, my God will never fail. He will help you. You will look for your enemies and you will not even be able to find them. Hallelujah. As you look at it, even more honor than Haman had, Mordecai had, and he just, he just grew and grew in favor and honor. And, and what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to us the truth as we give ourselves to beholding this one who is altogether lovely, as we recognize the joy of worshiping him, as we put our faith in who he is, our Redeemer, the one who redeems us from all our trouble, the one who takes all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our sickness, all of our fears. I lay the pieces of my heart on the altar and wait for your fire to come and consume it. It's like, ah, we can do that piece by piece. That fear, that worry. Sorry, I'm worrying about that. Sorry, God, here it is. Yes, I lay it on the altar. Picturing it for me actually helps me. I put that piece on the altar. All the weights, all the worries, all the anxieties. And then doing the asking, help with that situation, help that person. Instead of carrying them with worry in your heart, I put it on your altar. There it is. Let your fire, the fire of your faithfulness, come and consume it and replace it with your peace. Because we believe that what the enemy means for evil, God means for your good. Hallelujah. He makes all things, it tells us in Romans 8. All things. Turn to your neighbor and say, all things. All things. You know, it means even the things that you have made a mess of yourself and you deserve to suffer for. Isaiah 61 says, for your former shame, pain and disgrace. I'll give you double recompense. Double. And this is spoken to a people who had this trouble come upon them because of their sin. Instead of saying, because of all you've done, you're going to have to pay for it all. He said, I delight in justice. God's idea of justice is that you would get what he deserves. That's what he wants to do. You know, a good parent doesn't enjoy disciplining their children. It's much nicer to have a happy time. Would you not agree? 
Yeah, no, seriously. I know discipline's good. It's important. It's very important. Otherwise, you'll make a rod for your own back later on. It's so important. If you love them, they will be disciplined. But it's not, it's not something you want to do. It's much nicer if you can just love them and bless them and enjoy them and, and, and lavish love on them, right? The Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Not up to half the kingdom like the king offered Esther, but to give you the kingdom. You can boldly approach the throne of grace, touch the scepter of his face and his love. And it's his good pleasure to put in your heart Faith to ask and believe that this God, this one who you are not distant from, but who you've been reconciled to, delights to help you. The king delighted in Esther. He's like, Esther, what do you want? She's like, I want you to come and eat with me. You see, when your heart is right, when you understand that he is the one that we seek, everything else flows. 